You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. The arrival of a potentially record-breaking heat wave is upon us. And the best advice from experts is have a plan. Temperatures 10 to 15 degrees above normal are forecast. And while that's not as bad as the 2021 heat dome, lessons from that disaster inform provincial preparations this time. Richard Zussman reports. The mercury is rising across BC, and so is the pressure on the province and its emergency infrastructure. It is going to be hot, and it is the hottest weekend of this year. The weekend will bring temperatures well above seasonal, with heat warnings now in place across BC, meaning multiple days of high temperatures. But the weekend sunshine is not expected to trigger what is called an extreme heat emergency. Health officials are reminding everyone to think about their heat safety plans not just collectively, but individually, to support one another in these times. Stay hydrated, check on your family, friends, and anyone who might be vulnerable to heat-related illness. BC has put in changes since more than 600 people died due to the 2021 heat dome. This includes upgrading emergency alert systems and improving air conditioning in long-term care homes. But it's still unknown how many people, especially seniors, have direct access to a cool space. 98% of people who died in 2021 died in their homes. And so we have to recognize that we're going to have more frequent and more severe heat events as the years go on. Paramedics are expecting an increase in call through the next few days, largely due to the fact more people will be outdoors. That leads to an increase in injuries and also things like heat stroke. Making sure that the, the support from Emergency Management BC any emergency operations, both at the municipal but provincial levels, are, are ready to be ramped up. The province acknowledging it's always hard for ambulance services and paramedics when call volumes go up. But substantial changes have been made, including hiring more paramedics and changing management. The system is demonstrably stronger and we have to do more, including more work on recruitment in every part of the province. We've still got a very broken ambulance system. Considering 2021 and the tragic impact record-breaking heat can have, the heat is truly on the province to be prepared to respond to whatever happens. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. You know, it's warm when Zussman's got the sleeves rolled up, <laughs> and we'll all be doing that this weekend. The heat's already here, Yvonne. Yes, it is already hot today, but it is really going to start to pick up from Friday all the way towards our Tuesday. Those are the key days. Likely the peak of the heat even along the south coast will fall on Sunday and Monday. So for Mother's Day, be prepared. Special weather statement, it's blanketing the province. We've also got a smoky skies bulletin that's impacting the northeastern corners. Smoke potentially over the next 24 and 48 hours. Some of those numbers away from the water along the south coast will be into the low 30s. One of the hottest spots, though, will be for the Thompson and Nicola region with temperatures getting up to 36 degrees. And for the interior, we'll be staying into the low 30s and the interior can likely or will likely hang on to that heat even in towards our Tuesday, Wednesday. Our temperature trends showing us these are temperatures away from the water. So some of the hottest days along the south coast away from the water. Sunday, Monday for the interior, likely Monday, Tuesday. Now, this is going to accelerate the snow melt. We're also looking at the potential for wildfires. More coming up very shortly. Chris. All right, Yvonne. Thanks very much for that. Now, potential natural disasters in B.C. are a big part of the Canadian government's first-ever national risk profile. The danger of a powerful and destructive earthquake tops the list, but wildfires, floods and pandemics are also addressed. 
The purpose of the report is to pro provide decision makers and Canadians a better understanding of the risks as a way to help better prepare for those kinds of events. It's important for, for all communities to reflect upon the, the potential risk and then to, to take the steps that are necessary, first of all, to, to mitigate, to prevent damage in those events. And, and so that means making significant investment, for example, in certain types of critical infrastructure to prevent these types of events. It's also important to help Canadians be prepared. The next phase of the assessment is taking a closer look at the risks associated with extreme heat events, hurricanes, and space weather events like geomagnetic storms. Now, the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team is on scene in the Surrey neighborhood of Wally right now. A body was discovered late yesterday afternoon, and it's now a crime scene. Janet Brown has the latest. I'm pretty unsettled by all this stuff, and, you know, I'd rather not hear about it. Surrey RCMP say a body was found in this alley near Old Yale Road and 103A Avenue Wednesday around 5 in the afternoon. We do believe that criminality is likely a factor, which is why I hit has been called out. Um, but the circumstances leading up to the death are still under investigation. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team is now working on the cause of death. Investigators were in the area following up on information that they had received, uh, and at that time they discovered the body. In the alley, a yellow bin seemed to be the focus of the investigation. My sister, she said that there was like a really bad odor, and like even like last night when I was walking up the street, you could like, you could really smell something really bad. My wife, she, uh, she said it smelled like uh, a dead rat. Officers have also been at this house not far from the alley. Neighbors say they're feeling uneasy. Drug activity, um, activity that we don't need because we have, there's children on the street and we don't need that kind of shit. RCMP say residents should not be worried. There is no information at this point in time in the investigation uh, that leads us to believe that there is any ongoing risk to anyone in the immediate area. Anyone with dash cam or video footage from the area or witnesses are asked to call police. Got to look out for one another, especially on this street with this house. Janet Brown, Global News. Coquitlam RCMP say the suspect in two alleged sexual assaults has been identified and arrested. On Tuesday, police released this image of the man following a pair of groping attacks. Both of the incidents happened Monday. The first took place at the bus stop near Coast Meridian Road and David Avenue, the second near the Burke Village Promenade. Police thank the public for helping identify the suspect who is now being held in custody. All right, Global News has obtained photographs of evidence presented at the trial of Ibrahim Ali. He is charged with murdering a young teenager in Burnaby Central Park. A cell phone video showing the last day the victim was alive was also released. Ramina Dea was in court and a warning some of the contents of this report will be disturbing. A heavy day in courtroom 53 as a jury was once again led through more graphic photographs of the crime scene. For the first time, some images and video have been released to Global News by Justice Bernard. This is some of the last video of the teenaged girl. She was at summer school the morning of July 18, 2017. The day she was reported missing, she cannot be identified because of a publication ban. The next morning, her body was found in Burnaby Central Park. It was almost six years ago. Her pink wallet and cell phone discovered by police in the forest. 
a set of white headphones, also evidence. But who do they belong to? While Crown has suggested the teen was likely listening to music when she was attacked, defense has raised questions suggesting the headphones could belong to someone else. Defense asking forensic identification specialist Corporal Dominic Teo about a tent another officer found at the crime scene. Objection by Crown saying there was no relevance. On Wednesday, the jury heard no semen or saliva was detected on the teen's body. But under cross-examination Thursday, Corporal Teo said the forensic light source was ineffective when testing for fluids around the body. Crown's theory, the accused, Ibrahim Ali, strangled the girl to death in the course of sexually assaulting her. Ali's semen found inside the teen, says Crown. Ali has told the jury he did not kill the teen. He has pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder. A new witness will take the stand on Friday. Romina Dea, Global News. Metro Vancouver Transit Police have seized drugs, guns, counterfeit cash, and a luxury car in raids targeting a drug ring that used the transit system to carry out its crimes. On May 2nd, Transit Police, along with officers from several other forces, raided three homes in three different communities. Four people were arrested and 10 guns and nearly 4,000 rounds of ammunition were seized. Police also found about $70,000 worth of packaged drugs and about $50,000 in counterfeit money, along with a 2017 high-end Mercedes. One of the raided residences was found to house a magic mushroom grow operation which was dismantled. It's a network that is that stretches far. And for now, we have arrested four, and we do expect more arrests in the future. I can't give you an exact number, but um, it is definitely going to be more than the four. Addressing crime and safety in and around the transit locations is an important focus of efforts. Being visible and responding to calls for service on a daily basis reflects the core work that every police agency does. There is, however, a time when we need to address serious matters that are possibly less visible to the public but have a nexus to the transit system or the transit hubs. The suspects are expected to face a string of gun and drug charges. Despite a significant legal blow today there's a strong glimmer of hope still for the future of the simon fraser university football program squire barnes has the latest on the effort to keep the team alive so what was it that changed sfu's stance on its football team because in early april the university seemed determined to punt the program for good. Well, I have to say the, uh, the enthusiasm of the football community um, um, has played a role and, um, you know, just their passion. And I have come to, I didn't know this before, but I've come to understand in a much deeper way how much football means, particularly to the young men who play it and to our alumni. The original decision to end football came after SFU had been told they wouldn't be part of the Lone Star Conference after this year. That was the conference SFU was playing in. So part of this special advisor's job will be to find a new league, but that's not all that needs to be done. So for example, just one, if we're going to play in Canada right now, our, our uh, football field is uh, sized for American play. So we have to ask the question, what will it take? Do we have a field to play on? But we also need to make sure that we have the commitment um, from our fans. Um, you know, in the past, in the, in the last year, we haven't had the fan support that we'd like to have. So we're going to make sure we've got all these things in place to have a sustainable uh, and competitive football program. The special advisor has until September to turn in a report. 
Football supporters hope, of course, a new league can be found for 2024. But they also hope SFU reinstates the team in time to play some exhibition games this year. It's important that they really take this into consideration as a lot of these student athletes will not have any uh, unilateral places to land to pursue their academics as well as football aspirations in a timely fashion. So anything at this point that be considered and had for 2023 is, is crucial. And while we don't know yet if football will get a second life at SFU, at least there is finally some optimism. Would Joy Johnson like to be in the stands next year cheering on the SFU football team in a game against somebody? Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if you went to the Shrumble game this year, but it was fantastic. So it'd be nice to get football back. It would be very nice to get football back. The unbearable noise in Burnaby. Residents say the screeching SkyTrain has become too much and they want changes to keep it quiet. That's next on the News Hour. If you fall in, uh, your chance of survival is very small. Tragedy in West Kelowna, the warning with rivers running fast and high coming up. Plus, the secret skills of Vancouver developer and philanthropist Ryan Beatty and how he just set a new pool shot world record later on the News Hour. Right now, though, if you have taken the SkyTrain in Burnaby lately or if you live anywhere near it, you've probably noticed the unpleasant sound coming from the tracks, a loud screeching noise that speaks to just how old the Expo line is. It's not so bad if you're riding it, but as Jennifer Palma shows us, it can be overpowering if you live in the area. A high-pitched noise that comes in waves as commuters tap into SkyTrain. But at Burnaby's Edmonds Station, there's another noise bugging riders and residents. The screeching of metal on metal along the nearly 40-year-old Expo line is driving some in the area nuts as the age of the line is being heard loud and clear all the way up to the upper floors of these high-rises. 18 years. 18 years of this. Eh? Sometimes I wear earplugs. Do you find this one noisy? Uh, sometimes it can be. Yeah. Especially people... if you're living in the area. I suppose it's loud, but... I've been riding it for 30 plus years, yeah. so I'm used to it, and I don't live next door to it. The Expo line has a mix of trains, some newer than others. Not surprisingly, riders say older ones seem to be louder, and they'd like a fix to that screeching sound. It's very noisy, and regardless of how many emails I send, it just falls on deaf ears, and they send you a standard reply. So uh, it's quite frustrating. And you, we, if we might get two hours at night where there's no SkyTrain. In an email to Global News, TransLink says it's committed to reducing SkyTrain noise for residents as much as possible and that they're implementing recommendations put forward by an independent consultant who examined ways to mitigate noise on the SkyTrain system. Some say even though they made a conscious decision to live in the area, they'd like the noise gone. Right now they're doing upgrading which is fine but yeah it's it's the wheel squeal is better but just the overall sound of it is terrible. TransLink adds they're working to grind and replace rails in problem areas to help reduce noise concerns. It's gross yeah I mean we love our place but um, we can barely sit out on our patio sometimes because it's so loud. Jennifer Palma, Global News. 
A decision by Vancouver City Council to hold back a planned increase of the empty homes tax is facing some criticism. That tax, which was supposed to climb to 5%, will instead stay at 3%. And as Amadagahi reports, as part of the motion, the city will be returning nearly $4 million tax dollars to developers. Only weeks after Vancouver City Hall, under the direction of its ABC party majority, increased property taxes for residents by a whopping 10.7%, it has made another contentious decision. It's just a giveaway and, uh, and it's shocking and infuriating that ABC will get away with that. While trying to keep the city's empty homes tax at 3%, the governing party gave the development community a major tax break. A new exemption for developers who no longer will need to pay an empty homes tax on new units that haven't sold. With a retroactive element which will see $3.8 million previously paid and owed to this tax either returned or forgotten. To be writing checks back to some wealthy and well-connected folks that should be money spent on social housing is outrageous. I think it's a slap in the face to people who are struggling with the cost of housing in Vancouver. ABC Vancouver says the decision ensures developers continue to build badly needed housing in the city instead of doing business elsewhere, especially during the current market conditions. We're in a housing crisis. There's just no other way to describe it. But the thing is, is that we haven't been treating it like a crisis. And that's why our government is really focused on getting that supply happening and making sure that we get a lot of housing built. And so what we tried to do is send a signal that it's time for the industry to really step up, work with the city, and we have to do our part to make sure that we reduce the amount of time it takes to get that stuff built. But the outside and expert perspectives still struggle to justify handing public money to wealthy developers without a way to hold them accountable. Taking money that's already been raised and handing it to developers, that doesn't make a lot of sense. The money now being returned to developers had been earmarked for the City of Vancouver's social housing projects. Amadagahi, Global News. Just ahead, a child injured in a coyote attack. Where it occurred and what happened to the animal next. And allegations drugs intended for opioid treatment at St. Paul's Hospital are ending up on the street. Good evening and some good news here on Highway 1 in North Vancouver. Just cleared a stall that was eastbound near the Fern Street overpass in the left lane. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference when you renew your auto plan online. Select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance when prompted, and a donation will be made to Diabetes Canada. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 1 in North Vancouver. A two-year-old is recovering from a coyote attack last night in Port Coquitlam. The child was attacked in Lions Park shortly after 8 p.m. and taken to hospital with minor injuries. The park was full of people at the time and conservation says a coyote found in the same area was destroyed. It showed evidence of being fed human food, which is a big concern for conservation officers. No other coyotes were found or seen in the area. Uh, the conservation officer service continues to investigate uh, the incident. Uh, so far we've uh, determined that uh, the coyote had been feeding on unnatural food sources. In 2021, more than 40 people were bitten by coyotes in Stanley Park, forcing a cull of the animals there. 
It's estimated that there are around 3,000 urban coyotes living in Metro Vancouver. Well, there's some good news, but improvements are still needed to clear the backlog of surgeries in B.C. Keith Baldry joins us now with the numbers after a surgical renewal update from the province. Keith, and also you've got the latest on the number of health professionals that are being hired in B.C. Yeah, we get these surgical updates every few months from Health Minister Adrian Dix. I'll never forget the phone call I got from her back, from him back in March 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic saying we're cancelling all the surgeries in B.C., about 25,000 surgeries. I was thinking then it was going to be almost impossible to catch up. The good news is today we're at 99.9% of all the delayed surgeries have now been completed. The bad news is wait lists for certain surgeries continue to be very long. But we cannot get rid of that backlog on an ongoing basis unless we have a little enough doctors and nurses and technicians in the system to perform all these procedures. And encouragingly, here's the update on the number of people who have been hired in various health professions over the last three years. 209 surgeons have been added. That's a net number. 134 anesthesiologists, 322 perioperative nurses, seven family doctors, not very much, no more needed there, 76 technicians. Uh, how we stack up against other provinces, Health Minister Agent Nick saying when it comes to the two biggest competitors for human resources, is Alberta and Ontario, BC comes out ahead. What you'll see on doctors is they lost family doctors in Alberta and we added family doctors in BC net. That includes all those retiring and all those added. And that was before our recent agreement with the doctors, with the doctors of BC, which I think has had a positive effect. We led the country in the, in, uh, the increase in nurse practitioners, led the country in the, the increase in registered nurses. In fact, the number of registered nurses increased by 6.7% in BC over the last, uh, over the last year in the, in the Canadian Institute for Health Information report. It declined by 0.7% in Alberta. So we went up dramatically, they declined. In Ontario, it went up by only 1%. It went up six times as much in BC. So some encouraging news on this front, Chris, but we're not out of the woods yet. The estimates from the health ministry are that we need to find 38,000 more people than we have today to work in the healthcare system if we just want to maintain the status quo over the next five years. Those are huge numbers. We'll be reporting and updating on this key part of the healthcare system, human resources, on a timely basis and a regular basis because this is a crisis all provinces are about to go through. Ongoing story, no doubt about it. Keith, thanks very much. And health experts are voicing some great concerns tonight about the most commonly used treatment regimes for people addicted to fentanyl. Frontline doctors, addictions care providers and public health experts all worry that the opioids being prescribed as a replacement are ending up on the street, fueling a domino effect of public health problems. Paul Johnson reports. The early weeks of the pandemic, the government issued this guideline advising BC doctors to write prescriptions for legally supplied opioids to patients who were addicted. In many cases, that meant doctors started supplying the powerful opioid hydromorphone. The thinking being, better that than having them use fentanyl from the streets. Fast forward to this week in Victoria. Diverted safe supply pills that used to sell for $10 a pill are now being sold for as low as 25 cents a pill around VGH and downtown because of this government's flooding of the market. BC United MLA Eleanor Sturko was reacting to a National Post investigation that claimed much of the hydromorphone prescribed had been sold or traded for other drugs. 
The article had anonymous quotes from a number of doctors who worried the country's safe supply programs were making the crisis worse, not better. It didn't take us long to connect with three BC docs who specialize in addiction. The three doctors we spoke with all had similar concerns. They say they know some portion of the safe supply hydromorphone they prescribe is being diverted into the street trade. They say they haven't seen any evidence from the government yet to show that the safe supply program is actually lowering overdose deaths. And they also say there's a political climate right now that is discouraging doctors with dissenting opinions from speaking up. What's more, Health Canada's own website acknowledges that hydromorphone may be of limited interest to fentanyl users, bolstering the argument that it's likely to be traded or sold. We asked BC's mental health and addictions minister about the concerns Thursday. Frontline physicians in our healthcare system are working very diligently to ensure that their prescribing practices are appropriate, to uh, ensure that our systems uh, are evaluated uh, and are monitoring um, the, uh, the use of the, the medications that, that they are prescribing. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Just ahead, a new mother gets the help she needs. Being in active addiction while I was pregnant, um, it felt pretty helpless. The maternity program helping moms in crisis stay connected to their kids. Plus, safer sports, reforms to protect athletes from abuse, and why some say it's still not enough. Good evening. Traffic is moving really well over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge, north and south. Just a little bit of leftover volume on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Contact Kermac for expert windshield repair and replacement services while supporting Kermac Cares for Kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. The federal sport minister has announced a slate of reforms to improve the country's sports culture and make it safer. After hearing from many elite Canadian athletes about the maltreatment and abuse they faced while playing. But as Catherine Urquhart tells us, athletes and critics measures alone don't do enough to prevent abuse. Two weeks ago, several Canadian athletes told a House of Commons committee about being abused in elite Canadian sport. As I have watched these government hearings and seen countless athletes bravely re-traumatize themselves telling their horrific stories, I can't help but ask myself, how many more stories will it take for those of you in government to demand a national inquiry and implement real change? There has been a culture of toxicity, bullying and abuse pervasive in Canadian fencing for decades. That testimony followed allegations Hockey Canada misused funds to pay off sexual assault victims. Now, reforms have been announced. They include creation of a public registry for sanctioned individuals, restriction of non-disclosure agreements, making financial statements public, and putting more athletes on boards. An inquiry was not announced yet. I will respond to the request from athletes and survivors for a national inquiry. This is a legitimate request, and I'm working to be able to announce this as soon as I can. Emily Mason with Fencing for Change Canada told Global News, we are deeply disappointed to hear that this morning's announcement from the sport minister did not include a national public inquiry into Canadian sport culture. We believe that the measures laid out today are completely insufficient. 
Others are sharing similar reactions. This is a human rights crisis happening across Canada, happening in sport. No longer can sport self-regulate. There's too many conflicts of interest. There's too many people wearing the same, different hats in different organizations. Canada's Minister for Sport is promising that non-compliance with the new regulations will result in loss of funding. But critics say it's just not enough to ensure the safety of Canadian athletes. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. As we approach Mother's Day, a heartwarming success story in Health Matters to tell you about tonight that proves what can be done when people suffering addiction get the right help. Julie Nolan has the story of a young mother who's come a long way from where she was just a few months ago. Hi, welcome back. Oh my goodness. Oh, look at Joanne Monroe had a very different life just three months ago. How's it all going? It's going good. At 35 weeks pregnant, the 32-year-old was living on the streets addicted to meth and cocaine. She was ashamed of her substance use and had no idea where to go for help. I had a lot of blood pressure problems during the pregnancy, so it made it really hard for me to quit. With two other kids in foster care, Monroe wanted to get clean and be a mom to little Alvin. So with the help of a special team at St. Paul's Hospital, like a complex care coordinator and a social worker, Monroe got the chance at a fresh start. We create a bond with these patients, trust, and they, um, we've had a number of success stories. We spent a month here. <laughs> Through a multidisciplinary approach, yeah. she got help for substance issues along with other supports to stay drug-free and keep her baby. And you're wanting them to feel safe in a very scary moment. She's coming in in active labour, so you're uncomfortable, um, you're scared. It's been a really positive uh, story for us and I hope we can encourage other people to come here. I know, it's hot, isn't it? <laughs> Little Alvin is now two and a half months old and even though he arrived a few weeks early, he's on track with his milestones like cooing and tummy time. Monroe says the journey to overcome the stigma of addiction and pregnancy was scary and daunting, but so worth it. If there is a support for you, there is a place for you, you're not going to get judged here. We made it through it, so can you. You can't lose hope if, you're, if you plan on keeping your baby in. Like, there is help, and St. Paul's definitely has a, a place for that. She now undergoes regular drug testing with the goal of becoming the best mom she can be and bringing her whole family back together. Julie Nolan, Global News. And just ahead, a childhood passion puts Ryan Beatty in the record books. Ever since I can remember, I've been sort of a huge fan of the game. The noted philanthropist and developer hits a near miraculous shot, setting a record that'll be tough to break. Plus, we had a frantic call, 911 call, of a female who fell into the creek. A dramatic attempted rescue in the Okanagan of a woman carried a kilometer downriver. Just before we get to Yvonne, a tragic reminder in the Okanagan of the dangers of getting too close to rivers and creeks right now. A 68-year-old woman has died after slipping into a rushing creek while taking pictures. Emergency crews were scrambled and the woman was found about a kilometer away near the boundary to Okanagan Lake. Life-saving measures were performed and she was rushed to hospital, but she died there. 
The biggest factor, even when I was in the regional park, there's still people too close to the waterway. So that's all it takes. Uh, you go for a walk in the morning and you end up at potentially to die in the you know an hour later. So stay away from the water. If you don't have a flotation device or anything like that, there's no reason to be by it. And police warn there are still a few more weeks ahead of melting snow combined with rain. And the pace of that melting snow is really going to pick up. We've got Yvonne Shell in now with a look at our forecast heading into the weekend and beyond. Yvonne? Yeah, it's really going to accelerate with the heat that we're tracking in the coming days. We've got the hottest, we're approaching the hottest weekend of the year so far to date and we are going to see temperatures anywhere between 10 and 15 degrees above the average for this time of the year. It's warm today but the heat starts to kick in for tomorrow and can take us all the way in towards our Tuesday. We're currently sitting at 20 degrees. That was our high. We were seeing uh, temperatures above the average of 16 and a record of 23 was set back in 1994 and anticipate we'll have several daily temperature records broken in the coming days. The weather statement that's blanketing across the province, so Friday through Tuesday is the key dates. We were going to see the peak of it likely along the south coast for Sunday, Monday for Mother's Day. And we've got a smoky skies bulletin that's in towards the northeastern corners of the province impacting those regions over the next 24 and 48 hours. So if you have respiratory issues, you'll want to try and limit the amount of time spent outdoors. Temperatures soaring away from the water. We're getting up to 34 degrees. The Thompson Nicola with some of the hottest temperatures closer to 36. We'll see that for the interior. So we'll likely stay into the low 30s in the coming days. And on the temperature trend, we can see that that as well. Future cast putting it into place. So Sunday, Monday, a few spots in towards the interior hanging on to the heat for Monday, Tuesday. Low 30s is what we're tracking, so be prepared in the coming days. Flipping the forecast along the northern half of the province, we're tracking some rainfall. Much of the central and southern half will start to be hotter towards the latter half of the weekend. Along the island as well as the lower mainland as well, we'll track that heat for our Mother's Day on Sunday and Monday away from the water up to 34 and 33 degrees. So hot and sunny in the coming days be prepared for the heat we're also looking at the potential and increase in wildfires and we're also looking at the risk of flooding all right tonight's weather window a great shot that was captured by antonia from sassamet lake chris lots to keep you busy over the next few <laughs> days no doubt jam-packed <laughs> jam-packed all right squire's been busy today too what have you got coming up squire well, we're going to actually add a little bit more to that SFU football story. The possibility of it coming back next season, maybe even this year for some exhibition games. We'll also talk about what they're going to call the Ferry Side Derby. When the Whitecaps and Pacific FC of Victoria play to see who goes to the Canadian Soccer Championship Final. Seems like an apt name. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Also tonight... The near impossible pool shot that just landed a noted Vancouver developer in the Guinness Book of World Records. The 2023 Canadian Screen Awards have named Global News Hour at 6 the country's best local newscast. Thank you, BC, for making Global News Hour at 6 your choice for news. Squires here again with uh, sports. Big game for the Whitecaps coming up. Well, yes, that'll be uh, the Canadian Championship semifinal. And one thing we'll be sure there will be a BC team in the Canadian soccer championship final this year as there was last year because of course the Whitecats won it last year but this year it'll be either 
Pacific FC of Victoria or the defending champion Whitecaps. Now, the semifinal game between these two, May 24th at Starlight Stadium in Langford. The Whitecaps took their first step towards defending the Canadian title they won last year by beating York 4-1 last night in Toronto. Gressel to find a fourth. Julian Gressel. The Whitecaps did what they were expected to do against a team that is a tier below them in the soccer hierarchy, but they did it using some Canadian players that don't often get the chance to play meaningful minutes. Veteran Russell Tybert got into the game and his shot that went off the crossbar and then off the York defender into the net got the Whitecaps rolling in this match. And then Levante Johnson, who was called up from the second team, came on late and scored a fantastic goal. The kind of performances Danny Sartini was hoping for. This is a very important also chance for the Canadian players, for the domestic players that we have in the roster to Let's say, send me a message. I said, like, put me in trouble. You know, like, you want to play Saturday in Portland and uh, show me that uh, you can be in the starting 11. Credit to our system. Um, I think Vanny's done a really good job from the first guy to the last guy, making everyone comfortable, knowing what they need to do when they get on the field. You can even see, you know, Levante Johnson got on, you know, someone who was not even with the first team um, called up and, you know, doesn't miss a beat and comes on and scores and, you know, helps make a difference. Now the Whitecaps meet another Canadian Premier League team in the semifinals, Pacific FC out of Victoria. The last time these two teams met in the Canadian Championship, Pacific shocked the MLS side 4-3. The next day, Mark DeSantos was fired as Whitecaps head coach and replaced by Sartini. That was just two years ago and certainly fresh in the Whitecaps' mind. I think we need to go there and uh, be the team that's going to make the game like we did today. And of course, it's never going to be easy, but uh, it has to be a priority for us to win this game and then, of course, play the final at home and try to win the cup again. Even before the match, we talked about the feeling of, of lifting the cup. And you can't experience that you know, with your family, with your friends, with your teammates, with your club, with the fans, if you don't take the first step. So you know, tonight we were focused on taking the first step. Bringing the cup home is, is what we want to do. Okay, if you didn't hear it earlier, SFU football players lost their injunction to reinstate the football team. However, it's not all bad news because Joy Johnson, the president of the university, has hired an outside firm to look and see if there is a future for football. And if there is, it's more than likely it'll end up applying to join the Canada West Conference and play football against the likes of UBC. Now, that is the best case scenario. But it remains to be seen if Canada West will accept just the football team without any other sports because all of the other SFU sports will stay NCAA Division II. So, you know, what we've been, we, there's been a number of discussions, um, both with Canada West um, and also with youth sports, um, trying to find what the pathway um, forward might be. Uh, and, uh, and I know that there are a number of uh, universities that love us to join uh, Canada West. Um, but that being said, there are a number of hurdles to cross in terms of um, first seeking uh, membership in Canada West and then use sports. And we're going to explore those pathways. The Vancouver Canucks have announced that training camp for next season will be held in Victoria. The Save on Food Memorial Centre will be the home for Vancouver to get ready for 2023-24. Training camp will run from September 21st to the 25th and practices will be open to the public to come and watch and see who's in shape and who's already in the coach's doghouse for not being in shape.
Two of the top defensemen in the Oilers Vegas series are not going to play game five because of suspension. Edmonton's Darnell Nurse got a game misconduct for instigating a fight in the final minutes of game number four. And Alex Petrangelo gets a one game suspension for chopping Leon Dreisaitl's arm like he was cutting firewood. And when you see this, your first reaction is, how is this worth the same as starting a fight? I'm going to guess there were two reasons. One, Dreisaitl wasn't hurt. I know that shouldn't matter, but it does. Another reason, Petrangelo has never been suspended or even fined in his 15-year career. So being a first-time offender probably saved him from being suspended for more than one game. Whatever the case, Vegas will miss him in Game 5 a lot. And Carolina and New Jersey are going to overtime, tied 2-2. New Jersey has to win this game to stay alive. If Carolina wins, are in the Final Four. Sounds there good. Go. I was, by the way, I was looking over there at the monitor that's over there. That's the only one that I can I see. Didn't it's notice. not like I'm ignoring you. I'm looking over there to see. Well, <laughs> you sure? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Is there something I should worry about? All right. No, no. Okay. Coming right up, you're going to like this. The pool shot shocker that establishes a new world record. Next. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Jordan Armstrong has a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Chris, the B.C. government says it's a distraction to drivers and an accident waiting to happen. Now an injunction's been granted to end the protests that have been taking place every Thursday on a North Vancouver overpass. The protesters have a litany of grievances. Today, the RCMP were at the Mountain Highway overpass to present the court order. We'll tell you what happened at 11. Plus, late word of a grizzly bear sighting in the rainbow area of Whistler. Obviously, black bears are common in Whistler, but not grizzlies. We'll tell you what the Conservation Service is saying tonight, Chris. All right, be aware if you're on the trails there for sure. Thanks, Jordan. So Ryan Beatty is well known in B.C. for his housing and commercial developments and giving millions of his fortune away to charity. But it's a different devotion that's landed him in the Guinness Book of World Records. Beatty, it turns out, is an avid pool player and recently did something no other player has ever done, sinking six balls of the same suit off the break. He displayed his winning form for Jay Durant on This Is B.C. It took a second to realize what just happened. Off the break, Ryan Beatty potted six balls, all the same suit, and that is a Guinness World Record. We just had a meeting in the boardroom, but it probably had to do with like a project being delayed or something. I, I think I came out a little bit frustrated and I said, "Okay, I'm going to play now." I grabbed the cue and just and I, I gave it, you know, maybe a little extra. Six. You got six? He's been shooting pools since he was a kid, climbing up on his mother's back to reach the table. But the last few years, a little office rivalry has really elevated his game. We're two very uh, competitive uh, people, uh, especially when it comes to uh, pool. After hour showdowns are intense. Yes! Oh my God! <laughs> it can get a bit, a bit testy, and, and Rob's his game has improved so much also in the last two or three years. I used to smoke him all the time. Now it's like it's a competition. He has to spot his rival points because Biddy's been known to make some incredible shots. Are you kidding me? To sort out some of the close calls, ceiling cameras have been installed. Let's just say there were some um, disagreements on, uh, on, on some of the shots. There's no disagreement anymore. It gets pretty, uh, it's pretty cut and dry. Just like the big leagues, they often have a booth review to get an official ruling. Depending on 
the shot, we have to change angles to, to get the complexity of the shot. <laughs> the certificate just arrived, making the BC developer and philanthropist an official world record holder. But for the record, Rob did rally to win. I'm not going to give him the game just because he, he shot or nailed six balls in the first break. An unexpected ending after the shot of a lifetime. It's going to be a hard record to break, although, you know, there may be people at home trying right now. So, but, you know, no matter what, like, you know, even if I have it for a little period of time, it's kind of cool, right? Jay Durant, Global News. Way to go, Ryan. Very cool. All right, if you've got a great story to share or something unique, uh, to BC, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. He is a huge contributor to the CKNW Kids Fund. I want to thank him for that. And so is our pal Lori Ricks. You were just telling me it's her birthday today, Squire. Yes, 39th birthday. Happy birthday, Lori. And way to go. Thanks for supporting those charities. Last word on weather before we go to you, Yvonne. It's going to be hot in the coming days. It starts to pick up tomorrow and then takes us all the way in towards our Tuesday. Temperatures will be into the low 30s. It's away from the water. Be prepared even hotter for the interior, likely leading Tuesday, Wednesday. All right. Thanks very much, Yvonne. And thank you all for watching. Have a great evening. Enjoy that sunshine.